This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So, you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall, rock-climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So, whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Bill Gates has come under heavy fire in recent days. The hashtag #ExposeBillGates recently started trending under suspicion relating to conspiracies about his correlation to coronavirus. Stories up on Infowars.com. Governor Abbott tells Texans wear a mask around family, even your backyard, until COVID nineteen vaccine. He's definitely on the payroll of Bill Gates and the UN, ladies and gentlemen. The mask and studies do nothing. Cause all sorts of problems with lower oxygen. This is Joseph L. Flatley, and you are listening to Failed State Update, stories from the end of America. Thanks for tuning in or downloading or however you get this. The problem with fake news or conspiracies or whatever you call it, you know, misinformation, it's uh, not only that it leads people astray or, you know, gives people a skewed view of reality. It also creates an environment where there isn't even room for the truth. For instance, when uh, COVID, when COVID happened, when that bomb was dropped on us, the conspiracy corner of the internet, conspiracy culture, like kind of went nuts promoting these ideas that Bill Gates created it, or it's being created by five G, and it, obviously that stuff is ridiculous, and it, it it almost blows my mind that it even needs to be debunked. But um, in the mainstream media's like rush to like circle the wagons and stick up for the gates for bill and melinda gates for the gates foundation and to um to stand up to this misinformation what kind of got lost is the fact that there is actually a lot about bill gates and the gates foundation that should be looked at and should be criticized just the fact that bill gates is like the second richest man in the world you know means that Not only is he rich, but he has power, and that power needs to be examined. So for this episode, we are talking to Tim Schwab, a a journalist who has been doing some really great reporting about the Gates Foundation. His latest piece is called Journalism's Gates Keepers, which came out in Columbia Journalism Review. 
And the f- story that uh, prompted me to first contact him in uh, this spring was uh, Bill Gates's Charity Paradox. A nation investigation illustrates the moral hazards surrounding the Gates Foundation's $50 billion charitable enterprise. Uh, Tim's work and this interview with Tim, I think, offers some important perspective on the Gates Foundation and on the role in the, the super rich, you know, really unilaterally deciding policy, which is, I, I guess, the real the real purpose of philanthropies. And we even uh, get a little bit of my, one of my Gates Foundation anecdotes from my uh, checkered past as a tech reporter. So without further ado, here is Tim Schwab. Somebody once told me the world is gonna roll me. I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed. She was looking kind of dumb with her finger and her thumb in the shape of an L on her forehead. Uh, I am Tim Schwab. I'm a freelance journalist based in Washington, D.C. Um, a lot of my reporting looks at um, conflicts of interest, financial conflicts of interest. Um, and last year, I got a fellowship from the Alicia Patterson Foundation which allowed me to take a close look at the world of philanthropy um, and which is kind of this, this interesting part of um, I don't know what you would call it. It, it. Philanthropy has a kind of an outsized role in, in democratic politics in a lot of ways that at the same time that it exists outside of any governance structure. Um, so you have large philanthropies that are able to influence public policy on, you know, how we grow food and how we feed and medicate our children. Um, but they do so from a position as these kind of private entities, these private foundations, which um, the IRS and Congress aren't really providing much oversight of over. Um, journalists don't necessarily do a great job either. Um, so yeah, out of that foundation fellowship, I did, a story in the British Medical Journal looking at the Sackler family, um, who a lot of your listeners might know is the family behind OxyContin, which a lot of people see is responsible for the opioid epidemic. Um, in the British Medical Journal, I showed how the Sackler family of OxyContin fame um, has donated millions of dollars to the National Academy of Medicine, which um, over the years has this very prestigious scientific body has put out um, you know, scientific advice to Congress and federal agencies that has been viewed as friendly towards the pharmaceutical industry. Um, so that's sort of one chapter of the reporting I did about big philanthropy, if you want to call it that. Um, and the rest of the, my reporting has been kind of looking at the Gates Foundation. So I did a looking at um, kind of following the money within the Gates Foundation. And just last week, I published a new article in Columbia Journalism Review, looking at the Gates Foundation's funding of journalism and news and raising questions around whether the Gates Foundation's funding of newsrooms might be shaping how we're, how journalists are writing about the Gates Foundation. 
or how readers and listeners are thinking about the Gates Foundation. When I think of philanthropies, I think of basically the wealthy or the elites having this kind of like outsized role in public policy and other areas. Uh, would you agree that that's c- how it works? And could you tell me how philanthropies came, philanthropy came to be such important? Um, I don't know that I can give you the full history um, about how philanthropy became so important. But, you know, I, I agree with your contention that they do have, you know, in certain places, I think with the Gates Foundation, they do have an outside role, outside role in democratic politics. And so the Gates Foundation does a lot of work in U.S. education, for example, and they've teamed up with other large foundations. I mean, teamed up, I say that loosely, but they've aligned a lot of their education work with, you know, like the Broad Foundation and the Koch Foundation and a lot of this, um, the kind of ethos in the U.S. education work is around things like privatization, like charter schools, which are privately managed public schools or Common Core, um, so they are able to, um, you know, they fund all sorts of NGOs and nonprofit groups and think tanks, and they're able to, um, the effect of all that is to help move public policy toward their agenda, the way they think the world should work. Um, and so that's where it gets into this idea of it being sort of undemocratic is why does a super wealthy person like Bill Gates get to start a foundation and, you know, under the guise of charity, um, you know, push um, an agenda around something as important as U.S. education um, to have, you know, real material influence uh, over what that looks like in the United States. You know, if we look elsewhere, you could draw a parallel to like campaign contributions or lobbying, you know, elsewhere in democratic politics, when people apply their money towards political influence, it's regulated there's strict rules around transparency, but with philanthropy, you know, it's, it functions in a similar way and that, you know, the richer you are, the more political influence you can have. Um, and, but it's not subject to anywhere near the same kinds of regulations or oversight um, at any level, whether it's from the fourth estate or from um, Congress. And Bill Gates is interesting because, as you've noticed, noted in uh, your pieces, you know, he really was seen as kind of a capitalist run amok for a long time. And, um, you know, in, with Microsoft and, you know, there's that famous like deposition video of him on YouTube where he just kind of makes an ass out of himself. Netware is something from Novell, correct, sir? Fact. What? Fact. Um, does that mean yes? Yes. Um, does it say mistake somewhere? All I'm asking you is whether you interpret this that way. Does it say mistake somewhere? Mr. Mr. Gates, we have had a conversation about how I ask the questions and you give the answers. Um, uh, I okay, think I don't see where it see- says mistake. Or- it doesn't say mistake. It says major sin. And if you think that major sin is something different than a mistake... You can answer my question that, no, that's not what you think Mr. Moretz means. Um, uh, My question is clear. You can answer it, yes, no, or I can't tell. What is the question? You know, and people were seriously concerned with, like, the monopoly and breaking up Microsoft. And then I don't see, like, 
his approach to philanthropy being that much different than his approach to uh, business was. You know, like if you read what he's written about creative capitalism, he's talked about, you know, basically government get out of the way, let Silicon Valley, you know, solve these problems. Yeah, I think there definitely are through lines that bear scrutiny. Um, so I agree with that, putting that critical lens on the Gates Foundation. Um, but while you're doing that and I'm doing that, I think the point, it sounded like the point you were making is, you know, but generally speaking, that's not happening. Um, you know, Bill Gates is one of the most admired people in the world. Um, and also one of the least scrutinized, his foundation is one of the least scrutinized structures of power for as much money and power as Bill Gates and the Gates foundation have, there is, you know, incredibly scant, um, critical attention to them. And you see this in the world of journalism, my trade, um, or you could see this in the way that Congress basically kind of has a laissez-faire attitude towards um, how philanthropy operates. And um, let's uh, start talking about your uh, Columbia Journalism Review article. Um, Maybe you could just kind of give the listener just a sense of what it was about. Yeah, so with all of the reporting I did in the Gates Foundation, the kind of one of the new things I did that hasn't been done before is I looked at, so they've been around for two decades, more or less, the Gates Foundation has, um, given away tens of billions of dollars. But, you know, it doesn't, as far as I know, nobody's really put a circle around all that money and tried to, you know, do a systematic assessment of it to say, um, you know, where is it going and what has it done? And to try and take a step back at this really massive amount of data, something like close to 20,000 individual charitable grants, tens of billions of dollars they've given out over two decades. You know, there is this kind of unfortunate reductionistic sentiment around Gates is that, you know, he's giving so much money away that he has to be doing so much good. But to some extent, I don't know that we really uh, dug into that question. Um, and, you know, it's just kind of surprising to me that nobody had done this work before of trying to look at all of 20,000 charitable grants um, over time. So as part of that, as I looked through all these, these grants, you know, you kept seeing how many grants are going to news organizations, which is, as a journalist, it's just striking to see that. And it's also a little bit demoralizing because you're thinking, you know, where am I going to publish critical reporting on Gates if Lamone Guardian, Al Jazeera, ProPublica, all of these outlets are taking funding from Gates. It's just like, uh, how willing are they going to be to publish critical reporting on Gates? Is that one reason why there isn't more critical reporting on Gates in general? Because of the, as it turns out, hundreds of millions of dollars that I uncovered in Columbia Journalism um, that are going toward journalism and the news. Um, yes, I just rattled off a few of the names um, of the newsrooms, but it's also journalistic organizations like um, the American Press Institute. Um, it's media companies like Participant Media, which makes a documentary film called... Um, Waiting for Superman. Yeah, Waiting for Superman, which was is a big documentary. I'm sure some of your listeners have, have heard it, but it promotes charter schools which is, you know, a, a Gates Foundation agenda item. Um, so that's what I tried to do in this article, is track as much of the money going toward journalism as I, as I could. And I'll just real quick say, if I could, Lenny, that this reporting builds on 
um, similar reporting that other journalists have done. Um, it's been a while since reporters really tackled this issue, but over the years, with some frequency, journalists have been sort of reflecting on, hmm, you know, Gates has given an awful lot of money to journalism. Should we, should we be taking a look at this? Like CJR, um, Columbia Journalism Review, where I published a decade ago, they did a similar story. Um, but again, what's different from, from mine is I really try and step back and look at the entirety of their giving, which was more than $250 million. Yeah, I mean, and it's such a, you know, for being something that's, I don't know if you say only two decades old, but I mean, just the immensity of what Gates Foundation funds and, you know, their operation, it must be pretty challenging to uh, get a sense of the overall picture. Well, I'd even say it's impossible because, um, you know, there are some transparency rules around private foundations. So any of your listeners can go to, um, can see the IRS filings that the Gates Foundation submits every year. And in those filings, you can find information about its endowment. You can find information about its charitable grants. Uh, every year, it'll report all of its charitable grants individually. That'll be reported out the recipient how much money they got. But, you know, so there is uh, some semblance of transparency, but in some important ways, it's an illusion of transparency because it only gives you so much information. Uh, and, you know, one important blind spot in, in my analysis of Gates giving to the news media is that the Gates Foundation only has to report charitable grants. It doesn't have to report contracts that it makes with uh, the news media. Um, they don't have to disclose it, and they don't disclose it. I asked the Gates Foundation, you know, let's let's just put our cards on the table. Let's be transparent. Uh, we all care about transparency. We, you know, we have to be able to look at, um, you know, where the foundation is funding news media in its totality if we're really going to understand and have an open and honest conversation, you know. Uh, you know, there certainly is an argument that, uh, the Gates Foundation's funding is provided much needed support for struggling newsrooms, but I think it would be um, journalistically naive um, or unjournalistically naive to pretend there isn't a cost in taking funding from Gates. Could you kind of kind of explain what the difference would be between you know a grant and a contract? I don't know that they're like I don't know if it's a difference without a distinction, you know. I mean, you do wonder, well, um, if you want to give money to a group from the foundation and not disclose it, could you just make it a contract? You know, it's not because, you know, the only thing they would tell me about contracts, um, I'm trying to pull it up here in the piece, is um, they told me, described in very general terms how some of the money is spent. And they said, um, producing sponsored content and occasionally funding non-media, non-profit entities to support efforts such as journalist trainings, media convenings, and attendance at events. I mean, to me, that is indistinguishable from the money that they, that they give away as charitable grants. You know, you could give money as a charitable grant to a media outlet for journalist trainings, media convenience, and attendance at events. Why would you do it as a contract? Um, but, you know, the Gates Foundation doesn't have to be transparent on this point. The laws do not require it. And they, that's what they gave me when I asked them. And then how about the endowment? What's, what's the size of 
how much money does the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation have, and how much do they have to give away every year to be legal? The foundation, um, their most recent IRS 990, I think it's 2018, so you kind of have to, it's, it's staggered um, when they release these. So this one, the most recent one available, I think, is from 2018. The year end, I think they had $47 billion in their endowment. <clears throat> um, and I think the rules um, from the IRS is they give away 5% a year. Um, so, I mean, one thing I pointed out in an article I wrote this spring in The Nation is that, you know, a lot of years, the Gates Endowment can make more than 5% uh, returns, investment returns. So this is, you just think about this endowment. It's what the Gates Foundation, it's all the money that Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, Bill and Melinda Gates and Warren Buffett had given to the Gates Foundation. It's just this huge pile of money. Yes, they give away a few billion dollars a year, but the, the bulk of it remains invested, widely invested in earning, um, you know, investment income, um, that could be, I think last year, 2018, they, in charitable grants, they gave away something like $3.7 billion in charitable grants, but their investment income, it was like a, a great, you know, run in the stock market was something like $8 billion in investment income. So, you know, while you're giving away, uh, this is kind of illustrative of the weak rules that Congress has over private foundations, you're asking them to give away 5% a year. The idea being, you know, when Congress created or allowed this weird new part of democratic politics called private philanthropy, they don't want these foundations to exist in perpetuity and to be able to exercise democratic power um, and influence, you know, ad nauseum, ad infinitum. The idea is that they spent down 5% of their endowment a year, but over a matter of 20, 25, 30 years, the endowment would be exhausted and the foundation would no longer exist. But that's, those rules aren't really applying when you're looking at um, a lot of these big foundations with massive endowments because of even just simple compound interest and investment returns. Um, their endowments are not shrinking, but they're actually can be getting bigger. What are some of these investments and is there a conflict of interest there? Do, do uh, Gates Foundation programs, grants, conflict with like the business interests of like the shares that they hold? Yeah, there's there's two different ways to look at the conflict of interest issue. Um, in 2007, the LA Times did a really outstanding investigative series on the Gates Foundation. Maybe the maybe we could even say the only real uh, critical journalistic investigation. This was 2007. So this is like you know, 15 years ago. Um, and it looked at one of the things it looked at was a kind of moral conflict of interest where um, the Gates Foundation will be will have its endowment will be invested in chocolate companies that are linked to child labor. At the same time that the Gates Foundation is spending so much money into global health and development to save children's lives. So that uh, that piece really drew out this kind of moral conflict of interest. Um, what my piece this spring in the nation did was look at a more uh, at the financial conflict of interest, showing that the Gates Foundation has given 
billions of dollars in tax-deductible donations to private companies, which is odd, I think, on the face of it. We all imagine the Gates Foundation would be giving money to Save the Children and the Boys and Girls Club, which it is, but it's also giving billions of dollars to private companies, including some of the, you know, the wealthiest multinational companies in the world that probably don't need charitable donations from the Gates Foundation. But not only that, the Gates Foundation is donating to money, is donating money to companies in which its endowment is invested. So if you have a stock in a company, that means you are a partial owner. And if you're making a charitable donation to that company in which you hold stock, there's a a real conflict of interest, even if the IRS doesn't see it that way. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, I mean, it really sounds like you're just taking money out of one pocket and putting it in the other, in a a sense. It is, but this is important. Um, This is important piece of it is I never argue that that's that they're trying to make money. Um, that the point of this is um, it's all some scheme so that, you know, Bill Gates can make money. Um, that's not it. But the point is, it's hard to ignore the places where their charitable efforts were down to their own interests. You know, and it, the, the lead of that article in The Nation, I show, um, I think it was $80 million that the Gates Foundation has donated to the private high school that the Gates children attend or attended. You know, it's like, wh- how is this, how is this charity and how is this self-serving and why aren't we having a bigger conversation about this? Yeah. And, y- you know, it's, um, people have made, I, you know, I don't think there's proof of this. People have made that point said, you know, this is all a way, you know, Bill Gates is making money off the Gates foundation. I don't think that's been proven at all, but, um, it really just kind of points to this, this whole kind of you know, free market ideology where, you know, the Gates Foundation, Bill Gates, you know, because he's the second richest man in the world, knows what's right. And, you know, he's doing these things that don't necessarily, you know, that might be a conflict of interest, but we're supposed to trust him that he's smart enough to avoid the conflicts of interest. You know, there's got to take a lot of things on faith, I think, in order to give Gates Foundation the benefit of the doubt. And we do that. But you know, I guess my argument is that, that we do. We do um, give them the benefit of the doubt over and over again. You know, whatever rules that there are that we would apply to somebody else, a lot of times they won't apply to Bill and Melinda Gates. We just, again, you know, we see all this money that they're giving away, which the news report, uh, you know, religiously reports. Uh, sorry, the news media religiously reports out, you know, Gates is giving a million dollars here and $10 million here. Um, Gates is going to save us from COVID. Um, and so there's this real kind of halo effect around it in which it's can be, there's not really a robust, I'd say, I mean, you're right to say that people have asked this question and, um, you know, I published this article and there's definitely people on Twitter from all across the political spectrum who have, who are skeptical of Bill Gates but I would say, by and large, there isn't uh, a robust conversation about um, these criticisms surrounding Gates. And I don't know, there isn't that many places where you can have it. Oh, absolutely. Um, and and what is the uh, the overlap or the relationship between um, the Gates Foundation and Microsoft? 
Well, I mean, a lot of your listeners know that Bill Gates is a you know, bazillionaire because of Microsoft, the company he co-founded. Huge tech company that was, as you said at the top, dogged by um, antitrust allegations and lawsuits because of its monopolistic behavior. So, um, you know, Gates, uh, everybody has this idea that, you know, a decade or so ago, Gates just made a switch from Microsoft to the Gates Foundation, but he was still working a third of his work week at Microsoft during that whole time. Um, and even today, I mean, he resigned from the board recently, but he still stays on as a tech advisor. Um, so, um, you know, and over the years, you know, journalists have reported this, looked at, especially during the early years that um, Gates was uh, primarily working at the Gates Foundation. Journalists, you know, they looked at the ways that possible that the Gates Foundation could be helping Microsoft in one way or the other. And, you know, there's an article, I think it was the Wall Street Journal, maybe 15 years ago, looking at, or maybe it was the New York Times, but it was looking at the Gates Foundation had a big project to build libraries. You know, this is, it's, it's a kind of classic scenario where uh, it seems like a noble effort. How could you possibly um, want to criticize a philanthropist for building libraries? But the criticism came is that they were donating, um, or working with Microsoft, partnering with Microsoft, and it, the effect of the, the partnership was to introduce, you know, Microsoft products in the libraries. So, you know, it's, you know, one of the critics at the Times that is just sort of seeding the market for future Microsoft sales. Um, and you can, you can find other examples of, of that kind of overlap. Um, you know, but the truth is, I don't think that anyone's really looked closely at that issue. I mean, I think where you could look at it now, people think of Microsoft as a software company, but they're in everything and everything, agriculture, education, you know, a lot of the same issues that the Gates Foundation is in. So we should be looking at that. You know, it's like just kind of just if you just kind of briefly scattershot go and look at different Gates grants, you can kind of imagine where the contract conflicts of interest might be like. I'm going back a few years trying to remember some of my reporting on this, but it was like ending poverty, which, you know, their approach was like, we need to get financial products into the hands of people. Like we need to create consumers of uh, micro loans and banks and stuff. And it's like, it seems to be very technocratic, I guess, is what I'm getting at is the whole, Mm -hmm. yeah, definitely. you know, just like Bill Gates, you know, created Microsoft. He's going to engineer a new world and it's going to be kind of, in within the parameters of what he's good at, which is like, you know, technology. Yeah, exactly. I think that's, you know, right on. And, you know, and it's, it's fine. You know, we all have our own biases and blind spots and ideologies, but the problem is, but, you know, this guy, he has, you know, you know, in, inordinate sort of um, ways to, to use that uh, um, because of, he has a private foundation and billions of dollars to spend. He can elevate um, his agenda items and his ideology and his approaches and his strategies in a way that you and I can't. Um, And, you know, why do we give him that gift, um, that privilege to do that? Why do we give him billions of dollars in tax savings to do that? 
Um, why don't we have any kinds of meaningful checks and balances over that practice? Um, I don't want to jump the gun here, but you mentioned your reporting, uh, your previous reporting, Lenny, and I think that may be why you even initially contacted me, but I'm like chomping at the bit to understand what, you know, here sort of like entry point is into this conversation. Sure. Um, yeah. And it's like, it's more, works more anecdotally than anything else, but, um, like essentially, I was a um, feature editor at this uh, uh, tech site called The Verge that was owned by Vox Media, and um, like we actually had a like kind of a whistleblowers. We had some guy from a nonprofit. He was like, you know, I want to be kept anonymous, but basically we were operating in in the Middle East, and um, Bill Gates, the Gates Foundation, ended up like getting this program that we thought we were going to have, you know, and this guy thought that there was some, something hinky about it, like some sort of bribes or something, you know, money changed hands and, uh, not overt bribery, but you know, like Gates foundations giving money. And now, now Microsoft is getting this, (laughs) is, is, uh, you know, is getting this contract. And, um, so I looked at it and I'm not an investigative journalist or I, I definitely wasn't at the time and, uh, didn't get, too too far with it but i did spend about a year talking to like people in the non-profit sector and in international development who've had like run-ins with uh the gates foundation and talked about like like what you're saying like uh this one library in lusaka zambia was like relying on one laptop per child pcs you know which is which is great for them because you can crank them so you don't need electricity there. If sand gets in them, that doesn't shut it down right away. Open source. And just talked about like the problems that they were having because everybody else that was giving grants for uh, libraries and library technology, you know, basically it got to the point where they, they had to do Microsoft, you know, that had to come through the Gates Foundation and it wasn't going to be an open source operating system. And, um, and that's just kind of the general story that I heard from everybody. It's Microsoft or Gates Foundation. I'm conflating the two. But, you know, Gates Foundation is a big bully, and it's like they have so much money, and they're, it's such an overwhelming presence in the nonprofit sector that it quickly became, no matter where you went, it quickly became do it our way or you can't do it at all. <laughs> where where it gets, you know, where my anecdote comes in is I was working on this story, and, um, and I ended up getting let go, and... Um, I'm not saying it's because I was looking into the Gates Foundation, but like next year, uh, The Verge announced that it's like guest editor for <laughs> for the month of January or whatever would be Bill and Melinda Gates. So it's like I was working on this like critical story for them. And then next thing you know, you have all these like Bill Gates and Melinda Gates penned puff pieces on the site. And now, you know, come to find out v- Vox Media, who owns The Verge's receives grants, I believe, from, from the Gates Foundation. So it's like, they really are everywhere. Yeah, um, so Vox has gotten contract money from the Gates Foundation. I kept pressing the Gates Foundation around it's how much money, where the money's going in contracts. And the only example they gave was to Vox. So I don't know when the money started. I don't know how much the money is. I don't know if it's, if it's continuing to go. But, um, you know, if you talk about The Verge inviting Bill Gates to be the guest editor, 
I mean, so my article is trying to examine whether all the money Gates gives to journal towards journalism is having editorial influence. But then separate from that, even if no money has changed hands, you're going to invite him to be a guest editor to have that title and that you know, responsibility, however you're going to limit it. It just seems so highly inappropriate to do that. Um, and it's not just Verge that did it. I don't know if Verge innovated this, but Time Magazine did this. Um, who else did it? I think MIT Technology Review might have done something like this. Um, you know, again, again and again, the way I see it, somehow the rules just don't apply to Bill Gates. Um, you know, he is extremely wealthy. He's on the Forbes list of the 10 most powerful people in the world every year for whatever that's worth. I mean, independent of that, I think we have to acknowledge whether he's the eighth most powerful or the thousandth most powerful. He's one of the most powerful people. Um, but we don't treat him like that. We treat him as a kind of avuncular Mr. Rogers, kind of warm-hearted, um, generous benefactor, um, which I think is, is a little bit dangerous. During the COVID pandemic, Bill Gates has been everywhere doing constant, like long form interviews, prime time news, um, CNN, who's even on the daily show with Trevor Noah, you know, to show that a lot of us grew up with as providing counter narratives to mainstream news, but he's Trevor Noah is there softballing him questions and treating him like a public health expert. Um, in the same way that um, Anderson Cooper and Sanjay Gupta are also uh, on the news. So it's, um, yeah, it's just striking because Bill Gates is not, he's not an elected leader, not a public official. He's not a medical expert or an epidemiologist. So, um, you know, what qualifies him to have such an important voice? Uh, the New York Times at one point called him a vocal counterweight or vocal counterpoint to, um, to Donald Trump. You know, there have been many interviews published that say, Bill Gates, what would you do if you were president? And, you know, how do we get to a place where that's become this sort of normative discourse to treat Bill Gates as this sort of, you know, you know, as though he uh, would be, you know, have that kind of power to just openly defer to him with, with absolutely, you know, virtually no critical reflection about, you know, who is this guy again? Oh, yeah, he's the second richest guy in the world. He's not he doesn't have any special qualifications like he clearly wants the spotlight. Um, but, you know, just has he really earned it? Does he really deserve such an outsized voice in this incredibly important public policy issue of how we're going to stop this uh, pandemic? I mean, how has his track record? Has he been like, has he been warning us about pandemics for for years or, you know, is he? I mean, that's the prevailing narrative. And this is like, uh, you know, I, I talk about this in my new piece in Columbia Journalism Review about like everyone from stat news to I forget who the other outlets are, but there's been like dozens of articles. Um, basically anytime Bill Gates is introduced now in the news, it says you predicted the pandemic in 2015 years ago, you knew this was coming, you saw it. Um, and you know, what is that based on? He did a, a Ted talk, I think in 2015, where he talked about the threat of global pandemics. So, um, he did do that. He did, um, you know, do a Ted talk and he used that Ted talk. He could have talked about any number of things. He talked about 
um, you know, being worried about pandemics. But, you know, he didn't predict the pandemic. I mean, another way to look at this, Lenny, is if he was really, really concerned about a pandemic, a global pandemic that could do so much harm, you know, wouldn't he kind of bump that pandemic preparation up to like maybe the number one spot at his foundation? Wouldn't he start pouring a lot of resources into it? And, you know, this is kind of like obvious question that you would ask, like if you were going to do this as you're approaching a profile of Gates as a um, somebody who's uh, visionary, who's prescient, who can see in the future in this way. So what did the Gates Foundation spend on pandemics? They helped create, um, they and some governments and some other groups helped organize CEPI, which is the a coalition for epidemic preparedness and innovation, something like that. I think Gates putting like a hundred million dollars sounds like a huge amount of money. It is a large amount of money, but you're talking about uh, billions of dollars every year that the Gates foundation spends. Um, so within that, it's a very modest expenditure. So, you know, it, all this to say that I think it's a gross exaggeration to present Bill Gates as having predicted or that he's a visionary on this issue. And, the, you know, the other thing I, I'll point readers to in my, in my article, I have a link to a piece in the Huffington Post, which people should read. It's a long article about the Gates Foundation, but it looks at the way, you know, Gates has given so much money towards its kind of pet projects in global health, like polio eradication, that it steered the larger global health agenda towards the Gates Foundation's agenda and away from um, other priorities that it might have, you know, come, upon, come upon through more um, democratic processes. So, you know, one issue that article in Huffington Post raised was when the Ebola outbreak happened in Africa, um, WHO had its budget was really lopsided towards working on polio and it had very few resources dedicated to emergency preparedness to respond to this kind of outbreak. Um, so, you know, it does bear scrutiny. Gates has poured, um, I think they're the second largest uh, funder of the World Health Organization. And a lot of that funding is steering the WHO towards the Gates Foundation's agenda to work on things like polio eradication. And this is where it gets very complicated, Lenny, because people are saying, well, what's wrong with polio eradication? You know, again, on the face of it, it's a, it's a noble endeavor. But the problem is when Bill Gates shows up with a suitcase full of cash, everybody turns their attention towards his agenda. Um, and everybody wants part of that money because, you know, everybody's looking for more resources and more capacity. Um, but, you know, if you look at uh, the other thing that story does that looks at, at the Ebola outbreak is how late Gates, the Gates Foundation was to show up in Africa to address Ebola. And it has emails um, that they floyed from, I think, the head of the CDC, who's kind of going like hat in hand, begging the Gates Foundation to get involved. So, you know, you could say, yeah, they learned their lesson from that. And then Gates became an outspoken person on pandemics. But that's still also part of his legacy, you know, that um, which I think you could look at that as a mistake. You could call it a grievous mistake. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's a little bombastic and strange credulity to call him, especially with the frequency and the passion that the news media is calling him a visionary around pandemics. And I don't think that substantiates the 
outsized voice that he's had in this pandemic. Well, I mean, he's been calling himself a visionary for so long that of all sorts of things that I guess it was a matter of time before people just started taking it uncritically. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. I, I don't know, though, because, I mean, he was, you mean, like, from techno- in technology at Microsoft? Yeah, you, you know, mean, I, as a visionary? Yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, I just have a feeling that, you know, there's a very strong kind of philosophical connection, you know, link or continuum between, like, Bill Gates, Microsoft boy genius, and the way he managed that company and the way he got the power and the wealth that he did and the way the Gates Foundation is approaching what it does. I mean, I don't, I can't say that for sure, but you know, that it feels right to me. And, you know, and, and the fact that, you know, Bill Gates now wears these, you know, wears these sweaters and smiles more and people kind of, like you said, Mr. Rogers, you know, it doesn't change the fact that he's still the same guy who tried to, you know, who had, had antitrust lawsuits, you know, and, you know, that guy. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's the way I view it too, but there seems to, we've just kind of incrementally accepted that, like, overnight he just changed from, like, the most reviled tech villain, the archetype, the archetype tech villain. You know, we think of who we think of as Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg today, that kind of tech villain, that was Bill Gates, even, like, 15 years ago, you know? But we've all like just accepted this kind of, you know, this revised history or this kind of revised personality that suddenly he's not this cold, calculating monopolist. Monopolist. He's this, you know, warm, generous benefactor. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Strange how that's happened. It's like 180 degrees. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Americans love rich people that give away money, like. <laughs> It's uh, definitely a... And maybe they just love rich people, too. Mm -hmm. Maybe they just love rich people. And maybe the news media just loves wealth and power also. As much as it's, you know, has these time-honored traditions of challenging wealth and power, I don't know. Is, uh, what is the relationship between, we talked about, you know, Gates Foundation and the media. How about Gates Foundation and pharma and the pharmaceutical industry? And is that bearing out in any alarming ways or in any ways, I guess, at all with COVID? Yeah. So in, in the the new piece I put out in Columbia Journalism Review, I, I look at this through the lens of this, this huge proliferation of fact-checking sites in journalism now, some of which have funding from Gates. And I look at um, a fact-checking vertical from USA Today and one from the Pointer Institute. So it's PolitiFact and USA Today, which are doing these fact checks of the Gates Foundation. And they're not the only ones, um, but like the fact checking zeitgeist has really gone into hyperdrive to defend Bill Gates during the COVID pandemic, which I see as emblematic of the way it's just, you know, journalists really want to um, defend and support the Gates Foundation. Even to the extent, the, the example I give in the article is you have these fact checkers from these outlets with financial ties to Gates who are fact-checking gates. So right there is a real financial conflict of interest. How can you independently, rigorously fact-check claims related to your financial sponsor, you know? But not only that, I mean, there seem to be advancing uh, factually inaccurate information. 
Uh, so they're talking about how defending Gates, this idea that the Gates Foundation has uh, financial investments related to COVID. Um, and I show in the piece that the Gates Foundation, you know, again, it's at the top of the hour, they have $47 billion endowment. It's invested into anything and everything. So, I mean, I don't think this is like hard to believe at all. Of course they have money invested in companies that are working on COVID. Uh, what I find incredible is that you would have a fact checker go into the public domain and do a, I don't know how they missed this or, you know, what happened on their end, but to say the exact opposite, you know, I mean, basic journalistic instinct, you'd have to think they've got $47 billion. They've probably got some money overlapped here somewhere, but they found a way to say that the, um, you know, to write these fact checks, calling it conspiracy theories and misinformation, this idea that Gates um, has, Bill Gates or the Gates Foundation has investments related to COVID. I mean, the other thing is, so the Gates Foundation is sitting on an endowment of $47 billion, but Bill and Melinda Gates, their private wealth is something like um, $117 billion. The Institute for Policy Studies just came out with a study looking at the richest people in the world, or maybe the richest Americans, and how much money they've made during COVID. Um, and, I mean, you can, depending on where the timeline, you put the timeline, you can see how much money they made, um, because we did have a big stock drop at a certain point. But that study showed the billions of dollars that Bill and Melinda Gates um, have seen in increase in their private wealth during COVID. Um, where is that money invested? You know, we don't know. That's privately held wealth, so we don't know. But, you know, do we really think that Bill and Melinda Gates have more than $100 billion of private wealth and there's, you know, absolutely zero overlap with any company working on COVID? You know, I'm curious, Lenny, um, how, how does this story fit in with, because um, I've listened to, uh, when you first contacted me, I listened to a couple of your podcasts. How does this fit in with the, the larger, um, how do you see this, this story about Gates fitting in with the kind of the larger uh, theme of, of your work or this show? I think, I think what kind of prompted me to, to talk to you, to reach out to you, is just the fact that, um, you know, I talk a lot about conspiracy culture. Um, it's been really interesting. I've been writing about conspiracy theories and just, just kind of fringe American crackpot culture for for many years and um and then to have like it become such an important story you know with like QAnon and it moving the you know these kind of fringe ideas moving the national conversation in a way that I never thought I would see um so when so when people started you know attacking Bill Gates saying you know he created covid or he's just trying to get rich off covid or whatever and then I saw the the reaction from the media you know, propping him up as this, like, you know, the savior that's going to, you know, the sage who's going to tell us how it is. I just thought, you know, it's truth is definitely somewhere in the middle. You know, it's I mean, he's not beyond critique. He's not beyond reproach. Uh, so you him, are you saying you see him almost as a cult leader? Is that no, your... no. I was just saying that, like, you know, okay. he is like a better noir of of conspiracy theorists and that. I think naturally people kind of rally around him to protect him from the the fringe crazies, you know, and it's like, well, let's not lose sight of the fact that there are, that there's actual, you know, conflicts of interest in the Gates Foundation that, um, you know, there is an issue here. It's not, it's not at all what the 
crazy cult people are saying, but you know, you know, it's like what guys like you were saying, or you know, the that uh, L.A. Times article in two thousand seven. The yeah, the few and far between actual critical looks. I just you know, I think this kind of reporting is a long time coming, and it's just kind of a failure. I don't know if it's a failure of journalism, but it's a failure of how we're trying to save journalism that, you know, that like you said, you know, we just can't, if you're, if you're looking at the, uh, at the Gates foundation, you can't sell that story. You know, it's not going to be in the guardian apparently, you know, Gates influence is an absolute and you can find the guardian publishing critical reporting on the Gates foundation and NPR publishing critical reporting. And I talk about that in the article. It's not absolute, but I think we would be, you know, pretty, naive and ignorant to think that there isn't some effect. And, you know, I talked to a freelancer in the article who says, you know, he tries to as best he can avoid even pitching articles to a Gates funded outlet. I mean, I would have a hard time, you know, it would always be in the back of your head. If I was working on a big investigation about Gates at a Gates funded organization, uh, newsroom, you know, you could go to, you could use a different name of a different billionaire or a different company. You know, there's always going to be that, worry that somehow it's going to, it's going to lead to editorial influence. Um, but I think the point that you raise is really important is that, um, you know, there are a lot of kind of crackpot theories around Bill Gates. And when I, you know, like this article in CJR, at a certain point in Twitter, like you'll look at it and it's being shared and those people show up, you know? Um, but it, it becomes a really dangerous place when you can't raise any criticism um, and I'm not saying that's where we're at. You can raise criticism. Obviously, I did in CJR, but where the sort of there aren't as many um, where the mainstream outlets, everybody, all journalists should be taking a hard look at Gates because he's so moneyed and so powerful. But um, really, that's not happening. It's like the tendency is not to report critically on Gates. The tendency might even be to report uncritically on Gates. Yeah, I mean, and I didn't mean to say that like people, you know, out- outlets aren't covering the Gates Foundation or having, you know, there aren't critical articles about the Gates Foundation, but they're they're not major pieces. Like, this should be one of the bigger stories. This should be something that people understand, and it's and that isn't happening. Yeah, I mean, I always come back to this idea that the worry is that Bill Gates is, um, he, what he's doing is he's innovating a model of power that you know, the next line of billionaires, Mark Zuckerberg and Jeff Bezos are already starting to emulate, you know, it's, it's a way for a super rich, super controversial person to like a total 180 degree public relations coup where you go from bad guy to good guy, you give away all your money, but you do it in a way that, you know, allows you to sort of guide public policy towards your own, you know, ideologies and agenda. Um, so it's not in a way, it's not just about Bill Gates, but it's about uh, it's about growing inequality. It's about the one percent. It's about um, the ways that the super rich um, has super privileges. Um, that's the way I look at it anyway. Somebody 
once told me the world is gonna roll me I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed She was looking kinda dumb with her finger in her thumb In the shape of an L on her forehead Well, the years start coming and they don't stop coming as Greg Palace said, there's no such thing as a victimless billionaire. You know, a billionaire isn't just a hard-working man or woman. A, a billionaire is uh, somebody that, who played pretty nasty power games and crawled over a lot of bodies to get where they are at the top of the world. And to just uncritically hand them public health, you know, anything, is a, is a huge mistake. And, yeah, a failed state is a country that actually the government has stopped operating as if a government, and it's all symbolic. And we rope in billionaires and oligarchs to take care of functions that the government should take care of, and then it's really all just an opportunity for them to get rich. I don't know exactly what Bill Gates' game is. I think he probably just thinks he's just doing God's work. But the fact of the matter is that's a lot of power in some tiny little hands there, and we need to keep an eye on it. Check out Timothy's work on the Internet, on Twitter. I will uh, include links to his articles in the show notes. And thank you for listening to Failed State Update. said, I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed, and that man, maybe.
be right, because it was the Smash Mouth guy seen here at Sturgis encouraging a maskless crowd to party like it's 2019. Now we're all here together inside. 